You are listening to Vida Abundante. We have started a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. Here's Pastor Jonathan Gallardo. This is a very crucial text that we are about to dive into today, specifically coming off of verse 1, learning that God through Jesus Christ, has revealed himself and therefore making the Logos, or the Word, Jesus Christ, very God himself. And not only does John present us this wonderful fact by giving us the Word Logos, and a couple weeks ago we described exactly what that word means and its implications, so he's not only giving us that factor, but now he goes on to prove Why the Logos, or why the Word, or why Jesus Christ is really God. The way he does so is found in verse 3, which is going to be primary, our primary text for the rest of this day. Verse 3 initiates this wonderful understanding of the Logos, which is, he created all things. I love the way it starts off in the Greek, because it says, all things at the very beginning. Panta all, everything, not just everything in existence now, but that means everything that has ever been created. If you go back to, I just want to show this to you. We read from Job chapter 38. I'm going to go back to Job very quick. And in verse 7 of chapter 38, look at what it says. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy kind of asking the question, where were you when this was going on? The beautiful thing about this is that the morning stars or the sons of God are who? It's the angels that are in heaven. So even before creation as we know it, there were a concept of angels and sons of God singing praises to God. And what this implies in verse 3, all things... It includes the sons of God. So that takes on a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding of what all things really is. It isn't just what we see here on earth, but everything that exists in the universe, in the Milky Ways, in all other planets, everything that came into existence came in through existence by the word of God. Now, that's a very daunting claim in 21st century. That's a very emphatic claim and very problematic claim because obviously science knows a lot more than we do, correct? Obviously science would say, well, (laughs) I understand that that's what your book, your ancient book written by male authors, by men, would claim, and we understand this is faith and this is just some other external book that claims that God created the heavens and the earth. But science proves otherwise, and billions of years of understanding lets us know that this universe was created with the beginning of fungi, and et cetera, et cetera, and it developed, and it evolved, and it became into this wonderful life as we know it. It took probably 14 billion years to do so, but that's what we know. And so science will have this counterattack into what was created unto what we claim is created. But, friends, if we're in church and we are going to hold to the authority of Scripture as we do so here, then we got to make sure that we believe this. 
that we know this, that we can say, yes, all things, all things were created and made through Jesus Christ. He isn't just the meteor of creation. He doesn't just receive instructions from God and then does them. It's this word through, dia through, which is the, the, the Greek emphasis of the source of creation. This word doesn't imply that he is just an agent sent by God to create. Rather, he is the source of creation, the fountain of creation. And that's what we're going to emphasize the rest of the day. But I want to give you guys some type of outline or, or, or some type of points that you guys could be able to follow along while we go through this. But our, our, our passage begins in verse 3 and it ends in verse 5. And these three verses remind us of this creative power of God. And that's why it's very familiar to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to, to elaborate on what creation story is. And so if you look at verse 4, we see life. In him was life. And then if you go to verse 5, it says the light. So we have creation, we have life, and we have light. Very similar to what happens in the Genesis 1 account. So this is the author reminding us of this authority and power in creation. That Christ was in the beginning of creation, but not only was he at the beginning of creation, he created and therefore is supreme over all creation. That, that's one important factor that we have to begin to understand that God is, through Jesus Christ, supreme over all creation. And that's why we are going to be speaking about this for the rest of, the, uh, of our morning session together. So this is the outline. It's, it's God the creator through Jesus Christ, God the giver of life through Jesus Christ, and God the light of men through Jesus Christ. Christ. And these concepts will help us understand John's driving point to show us who Jesus Christ is. If Jesus Christ isn't God, you and I are sitting here in vain. If Jesus Christ didn't create all things, then something else did, and we should be worshiping that other thing. If the evolutionary process of 14 billion years did the universe, then we should really just Look at our science books this morning and try to develop our understanding of that. And we could probably do that at home while we're drinking coffee. There's no need to be here if something else or another thing or a different entity did the creation process. But we, we are not here for that. We're here because we understand that Jesus, the word of God, was the factor and the source of creation. So too often Jesus is just skipped over, even though it is an important element of Jesus' life, it's oftentimes skipped over by just assuming Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Redeemer, Jesus is a forgiver, and Jesus is the one who resurrected, and that's why we have Easter. He's the one that was born on Christmas, and that's why we get gifts on December 25th, and, and, and so on. So it's just kind of important elements, but we kind of skip over them, and we definitely skip over this concept of creator. The baby that laid in the manger created all things. The one who was crucified on the cross created all things, yes. And they carry within itself these truths, some very 
hardcore implications for us as believers in Christ. Friends, we are here because Jesus Christ was at the beginning and holds all things in his hands. If you evaluate that and understand that, you'll know one important thing today. That you leave this place knowing that you aren't your maker. You didn't make yourself. You didn't even choose what you were. You didn't choose how tall you were going to be. I would have been 6'6". Six, six. I would have been 6'6". Six, six. 185 and could jump like MJ. I, I mean, we, we, we didn't decide what we were going to do in our own lives. We are not our own gods. We are not our own makers. Someone else or something else, as the world says, brought us into existence. And that something else is what the Bible calls Christ. And most importantly, since he created you, he's got you in his hand. You are formed, planned, designed, inspired, breathed into by God himself. That takes on very deep connotations for our daily living. But we'll get to that in a bit. This verse initiates this uh, understanding of why he's God, and it's proving he's God because only God can create. So this is what John is doing as we read and we dive into this, this passage. He proves his deity in, in verse 1, but it goes a little bit further because now he shows how he is God. Only God can create. Only God can make. And so if the Logos is God, or if the Logos creates, then it goes to prove that he is very God. And you have to remember, this is, we are not the primary audience it for this book. Prior to us hearing this, first the first century church had to read this and understand it for themselves. And that's where we're going to get into their understanding in a bit. But he goes to stress this important element of creation because it's talking about a man that created the world. Since before the creation, he came into existence. He was already in existence. He wasn't made or created. Before all of that, he came in and he developed the plans for life itself and for the world itself. Every time you look at the universe around you, you begin to think like, man, that, that's, that's marvelous. Like, can you explain to me why the earth is tilted at a perfect 83-degree uh, angle? Or I forgot what angle it is, but if you're a science guy, you'll probably be able to correct me. But the earth is tilted at a certain degree in order to its rotation of function in order for the sun to hit and the rays. I mean, it's beautifully created. Can you explain to me how that happened? It's all designed by a designer. There is a need for a designer if there is a wonderful design in place. So, he is not only the reason for this creation, nor is he just the means of creation, but friends, he is the ruler of creation. And if he is the ruler of creation, then you and I are what? We are subject to that king. We are subjects to that ruler. I know that 21st century kind of pushes back on this concept of slavery or concept of being owned or concept of being, uh, uh, you know, there's someone over us, an authority over us. But that's not the case in the word of God. Because, because God is creator, 
And because God did all things, then he is very welcomed to be God over us. God in us and God ruling over you and me. We have no higher authority than God himself. So Genesis 1, if we go back to Genesis 1, open your Bibles a little bit. I want to show something to you. We all know the story. Genesis 1, if you don't know where Genesis is, uh, ask your friend next to you. And hopefully he or she may know where Genesis is. But Genesis, first book of the Bible. Let's read it a bit. Bring us some refreshers. Verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. If you look at verse 4 in John, and verse 5, it begins to speak in these very terms of life and light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let there separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse of the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning on the second day. And we could go on all the way through chapter 2 looking at some of the generic details, but details nonetheless, of God's creation. Well, John chapter 1 spends one verse on the concept of creation. Why? Because John's focus, as we've been talking about since day one, is to present us with the concept of Jesus Christ. He is the important factor and element in the gospel of John and should be the important factor and element in our lives that we may know who Jesus Christ is. Friends, every Sunday that I have the opportunity of standing before you, I'm going to push that question to you every Sunday I can. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? What does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? How would you describe the person, Jesus Christ. What has he done in your life? And do you show what he's done in your life? Do you represent Jesus Christ well? This concept of knowing and understanding the person of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the Gospel of John. And so therefore, the details of creation as elaborated in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 aren't really necessary his focus. He's not going in in the first day, and the second day, and the third day, and the fourth. John just says, hey, look, creation was made. Who made creation? The Logos made creation. Why? Because he's putting at the forefront of our understanding and the people who, who followed him in the first century, at the forefront of our understanding and their understanding is God in Jesus Christ was at the forefront of Creation. It was he that started it. So the important detail here that John doesn't want anyone to miss is Jesus Christ. He's the one that started it. So there's no need to go into the detail of it because his audience was already familiar with the Genesis account. However, 
they needed to understand clearly that the Genesis account was speaking of Jesus, was pointing to the Creator, not only as God Himself, but God in Jesus Christ at the beginning of everything. I love how Chrysostom, third century theologian, says that there is a greater subject in creation, and that is the Creator. You see, our emphasis in our modern day and 21st century America, if we can say, we live in the United States, so it's easier for us to examine this, but our, our motto in life or, or, or our cultural, culture's uh, emphasis in life is its creation and what it can do in what it can provide in the technological aspect of life. We all see what's going on around us. We have cars that drive themselves finally. They cause, they've caused some accidents, but all of these advances go to show us creation. Wow. Wow, a self-driving car. Wow, I can, I can wear headphones without a string. Wow, I can speak on my phone to my mother that's in Mexico. Wow, and all of these technological aspects and, and creation and buildings and cars and things and things and material things and more things and more things. And they put our eyes on the creation by stepping aside and pushing aside creator. Emphasis here, friends, is not on creation, but on who created. And so John has this at the core of his gospel. That's why it's in the first five verses of, God, of the gospel of John. That's why I'm spending so much time on these first 18 verses because it's the theological premise to the rest of the gospel. So I will spend more time in the prologue, in the first 18 verses of John, explaining the details of his concept because they're wide concepts and they're important concepts. Later on, we'll, we'll use bigger passages, 9 verses, 8 verses, 12 verses. But the important details here is we cannot miss who he is trying to present. We cannot miss what it means for Jesus Christ to be creator, which is what we're going to be spending our time on. If you guys are aware of Richard Hawkins, very famous atheist, evolutionist in our day, he says, the eventual goal of science is to provide a signal, a sign theory that describes the whole universe. Hawkins is a very famous scientist and atheist who has passed away, but he had in mind that the universe could be explained by one single theory. And being one of the brightest men that existed, he died not knowing what that theory was. The Bible is very clear on what that theory is. It isn't a concept. It isn't an idea. It is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He is creator. He is not created. And as creator, we cannot miss out that creation is subject to him. So why do we gather on Sundays again? Why do we, why do we like bother to wake up early? Like imagine Sunday mornings. I mean, I feel your pain. It's Sunday morning. You're about to go to work on Monday. And you got to get up at 7 or 6.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. How, whatever time you get up for work. And Sunday is just like, let me just sleep. Let me just enjoy my Sunday. Like, why do I have to bother going to church? 
So why is it that we're here? What's the whole purpose of this? You know, uh, uh, the singing, the, the, the call. I mean, what's the whole emphasis of gathering together on a Sunday? Well, friends, because creation recognizes its creator. These are some of the implications of, what it, of why it's important to understand creator. Why it's important to under, understand Jesus Christ as the, the starter and initiator of life and creator of life. Because what else are we going to worship? And that's the problem with our society today. If we do not worship Christ, if we do not worship our creator, we are obviously worshiping something else. It could be ourselves. It could be our self-made image. It could be our success. It could be our money it could be our wife it could be wives or it could be our kids it could be our husbands whatever it is friends you and i have this constant dilemma every day of our lives we are pulled our hearts are pulled to worship the question is what are we worshiping who are we worshiping and so sunday is a very strong indication in many of our cultural societies and many of our homes in America of what it is that we worship and at the end of the day many Americans many of us choose to just worship ourselves our feelings our desires our appetites we choose to set god aside because to many of us he isn't even real and so we focus on our pleasures and our delight. At the end of the day, we call ourselves God. We call ourselves creator. We call ourselves our own makers, and therefore, we worship ourselves. It feels good, doesn't it? It feels good to wake up late on a Sunday morning. It feels good to just relax. It feels good to go to the beach. It feels good to have breakfast in bed. It feels good. Everything feels good, and there's nothing wrong with feeling good, but we sacrifice clear element. Who we worship is not Jesus Christ, rather it is ourselves. And since we worship creator, we bring into our understanding on a Sunday morning that we bow before a creator, we, we submit ourselves before a creator. That's why some of our expressions in worship uh, transcend a little bit uh, a deeper meaning. That's why when we raise our hands, it isn't because the guy up here or the lady up here tell us to raise our hands. Sometimes we've been in worship services where, where, the, where the worship director says, everybody raise your hands, and it's like, you don't tell me what to do, man. Like, I'll raise my hands if I feel like it. I don't feel like raising my hands. You raise your hands. And, 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 like, and so sometimes we're just like, you know, and it's, it's like we know the Christian mannerisms, the, the, the goal, and, 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 and the, the way we, we lift our hands. Sometimes we're a little bit too shy, and we're just kind of like this, or, or, or we, we go like, I mean, we, we know it. We, we've been to church enough to, to see how people have done it, and we just kind of do the same thing. It's not being forced into that, but these tendencies to raise our hands and surrender to what? To God as creator. We worship God as creator. We bow our heads. We pray. Everything that we do in our worship service reflects submission to God. That's why we've said this time and time again that we, at, at church, we don't try to cater to our desires. Like, we don't try to, like, make everything for you and, and, and get the people to feel real good. Like, imagine doing a 10-minute sermon and, like, 
five minutes song. And imagine church services lasting for 30 minutes. Everybody be like, yeah, sign me up. That's cool. 30 minutes in and out. Man, I'll go to the bathroom for like five minutes and it's like 25 minutes left. Oh, this is good. No, it, we don't, it doesn't, it's not that important that we cater to your needs. It's, it's, it's because we're here for our creator. And so we bow our heads. We raise our hands. We are surrendered because we've acknowledged one important thing, that he is the creator of all. And therefore, we worship that creator. And the creator of all has this very strong hold on life that even in the last book of the Bible, so now go with me to Revelation real quick, because we... We read Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. Go with me to the last book of the Bible. Revelation, the book of Revelation is written by the same author that we've been reading, the Apostle John. And here is this great concept of our creator. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Okay? So Genesis 1, the expanse, the waters, the light, darkness, heavens, earth, all created. Fast forward to Revelations chapter 21. The apostle John says that creation that initiated in Genesis chapter 1, yeah, that that's going to come to an end. But then the creator that created that is going to create a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. So there's implications in this, friends, that this world, that everything that we see around us was not only created by God, but it's sustained by God, and it will come to an end. Not in a fatalistic way or in a, in a harsh way or, or so that we're all afraid of it. It's not in that sense. It's more so because there is something better ahead for his creation, for his children, for his people. Can you imagine a, a loving God saying, here's earth. This is everything that you ever wanted. Enjoy the world and and it'll come to an end, and there won't be anything left. That's not a loving father. A loving creator has designed this earth so that we can steward it, and we've obviously been not been doing a good job. I mean, we could just look at the news and look at the Amazon, and we could realize, yeah, we're not doing a really good job stewarding the earth. It's eventually going to come to a halt and a stop. But the beauty is there's something else for his people, for you and for me. Because God that created the heavens and the earth, God that created you, has a plan. Nothing will catch God by surprise. Always remember that. And so that's why we worship. We worship because we're not fighting to sustain life here. We worship uh, God because it isn't on us to know whether what's going to happen to us tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. As a matter of fact, we don't know what's going to happen to us at 7 o'clock tonight. You and I may have plans for 7 o'clock at night. You and I may have uh, uh, an insight, or you and I may even have plans for immediately after the service. This is what I'm going to do. 
The plan is out, right? You, you get your wife, look, we're going to sit towards the back of the audience. And as soon as the dude says amen, you take off. And we park close. No one speaks to us. And we just, we do the 50-mile the dash. and we, I mean, the 50-meter dash. And we're out. We're out the door. What? And we get to go to McDonald's and or wherever it is that you guys like to go. And, and, and that's the plan. You may have a plan for the end of the service. You don't know if it's going to come to place, man. Because you don't know. You don't make your future. God has it. And God will bring an end one day to this creation. That's what we have to understand. And that's why when we put all of our faith in creation, when we put all of our faith in this material world, when we put all of our faith in what we see and what we feel and what we do and what we like, we don't realize that it has an expiration date. I was watching a little bit, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I, on Saturday night, my, my big Saturday night evening plan is to watch the History Channel. And I have my children there bored to death, but they're watching the History Channel with me. And I was watching the pyramids and, and the, uh, this re rediscovering Egypt. I think that's what the series was called. And I was just you know, amazed by everything that was going on in the valley of the, of the kings and, and, and the emphasis on these kings taking all their riches with them and, and, and the, these burial grounds being so elaborate because they, they believed they were going to take all of their stuff with them and live in luxury at the end of their lives. And many of the stuff was, was stolen by, loot, by looters and, and taken out. And, and it was just impressive to me to think that this concept of, of things is nothing new to our society. This has always been in existence. There's always been a desire for stuff, and there's always been a confidence in things to make us feel good and secure. So when, when it isn't creator God, sometimes things that make us safe. If I marry the right person, she or he will make me feel complete. If I buy the right car, that will show that I have a certain level in society where people will respect me. If I have this right career, I will be respected. And we deposit all of our energy into these things that have an expiration date. They are not to fulfill our souls the way a creator does. They are not substitutes for God's inspiration, for God's breath in our lives, although we have turned them into those substitutes. And so therefore, when those substitutes are taken away from us, we crumble and we go crashing down. But the Christian and the son and daughter of Christ understands Jesus as the creator of all things and has deposited all of their faith and all of their trust in Jesus Christ. If God created all friends, then the logical conclusion is that God will sustain everything. God's going to bring everything to an end. God will create everything new again. God sustains all, is all, in all, and for all. God sustains your life. Why else do we come to church? Why else are we part of this, this worship experience? Because we've seen no other alternative. 
We come because we, we were humble before God. We've understood his greatness and his glory. But friends, we've tried and we've tasted the world. And everything that the world has had to offer has been very disappointing. God never disappoints. God always knows what to do. God will always be faithful to you even when you are not faithful to him. That's who our God is. Many of us have had difficulties in marriage because we thought that this man or that this woman would never disappoint us. And how many of us can attest to it? Don't raise your hand because then you'll get in trouble. But how many of you can attest to, man, I've been disappointed. I've been let down big time. Some of us even say, man, I've been let down like three or four times with three different, four different people. Whoa. But that's why John brings this to the forefront. In order to move forward, look, we're in the first three verses, friends. In order to move forward, in order to, there's 21 chapters in this book, like, like there's more important things that we got to get to, but in order to get to them, what John is really kind of just putting a pause to, it's like, you got to get this right. You got to understand what this means. You have to know who Christ is. And he is creator. So he is bringing this clarity into perspective. He's bringing this, this notion of Christ into a more clear perspective for all. And his audience includes those who had Greek tendencies and some Jewish people that were uh, very influenced by Jewish culture and Jewish religion. So he has to bring clarity to this. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I just want to remind you on what the Logos concept was for a lot of these people. So a lot of the Greeks and these pre-Gnostics uh, that, that existed in, in the first century or those who had this Platonic thought of creation, they understood the, log the Logos as something created to mediate creation. It was thought in the Gnostic world that was later developed, but it was a pre-Platonic system in the Greek thought, where, where this, this concept of creation came from emanations, emanations of prime evil aeons. This is what the Gnostics thought. The aeons formed this material world. Why did they say the aeons did it or these emanations that existed before all creation? Why? Because for the Greeks or for the smart people or for the philosophers of the day, they, they could not reconcile a messed up world, a material world that had obvious imperfections. They, they said to themselves, there's no way that this messed up world was created by a perfect God. There's just no way. Obviously, something else had to do it. And then John is bringing this clarity to the picture and saying, well, God created it, and it was through a man, Jesus Christ. So, so it, it hits in twofold. It's a, a man created the universe, and God created the universe? Are you serious, bro? You want me to believe that? Well, that's what John presents. So it's bringing this clarity, and so he's trying to say, hey, don't get this wrong. Don't jump in on Jesus and say, I love it. Yeah, this sounds good. Don't jump in until you really understand the theological depth of what it means for him to be creator. And 21st century, brother and sister, I dare you. I always dare. Go to your friends at work tomorrow and say, Jesus Christ, God in human form, 
the Logos, the Son of God, created the universe. And your friends would be like, man, what did you do yesterday? Where, where are you coming from? Are you hungover still? Like, what did, what, like how bad was that party? It, it, it's just nonsense. That's what we believe. That's what the Word of God says. So to the Greeks, it's bringing this clarity in. To the Jewish people, it's also bringing this clarity in because the Jewish had these concepts of, of God creating the world through wisdom. Through, through uh, the Torah, the law of God was at sometimes referenced as the creator. And the later uh, uh, Jewish scholar Philo would come in and say, well, the Lagos was a pattern for creation. So, this is how the Logos looked, and we were going to pattern everything according to how he looked. So there's obviously some discrepancies in, in, in the copy and the true entity. So our, our mission is not to look like copies, but to ultimately become like the one being copied, which would make us semi-gods in a sense. Well, this concept is incorrect because... John clearly puts it out there. Well, there is no external logos that was created. There is no wisdom that was created to create. There is no uh, uh, pattern to emanate. It is Christ who did it all. Brings this to a very clear point and brings us to a very clear understanding that Christ, the logos, is creator. Now, there's big implications for this, big implications that I don't want to get started today because then I won't, I'll have you guys here till about 3 o'clock. So instead, I'm going to stop right here, but I'm going to focus our attention back on verse 3. So go back to verse 3 of John 1. The grammar is fairly simple. All things, panta dia. Through Christ. Everything that has ever existed, everything that will exist, everything that will become, come into existence was created, was made through him, and without him, here's the negative, so we get a positive and a negative presentation of the of, of creator. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. The Greek says not one thing. So here we have all things created through him and not even one little thing was created without him. What does that mean for you? That God that created all the details of this universe has designed your life. What does that mean for you? And how do you take that and live a life in representation of what that creator did for you? So you may say, well, my life is a mess. Like, really? God created, God planned out this, this life? It's a, it's, it's a mess. Well, we can't blame God for everything. And we can't blame God for all your bad decisions. But it will imply he who started the good work in you will bring it through to completion. 
because he created all things. Friends, this is the God that we worship. We worship a creator, someone that was never made. I want you to get that through your beautiful head this morning. We worship a creator, someone who was not created.